0: This is our last message uh, in the series, Home for Christmas. We're talking this morning about uh, unwrapping God's gifts. We just got through the blur of Christmas. Uh, Some of you have gifts strewn all over the place at your house, wondering what what you're going to do with them. And we've been talking to you these days about Christmas, about God's gifts being the very best gifts because they're the gifts that uh, uh, they can't be bought with money. On uh, our Thanksgiving service, remember Pastor Ken asked us to fill out those little pieces of paper things for which we were thankful. And uh, as he was speaking in the first service, uh, a lady was sitting right behind me there in the front. She said, I need more paper. I have so many blessings that i can 't fit them all on this paper. I took my paper home and I was thinking about those blessings at home and I, uh, one of the entries that I made on mine was, I thank God for all the things I have that cannot be bought with money they 're the real things they 're the things that last. Uh, the people here in uh, in the Bible learned how to unwrap those gifts that cannot be bought with money. So I direct your attention this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. The word grace means blessing, means favor. God has smiled upon these churches. Now that's a wonderful thing to, uh, to feel that you have the smile of God on your church or on your life. Um, Look at verse number two, though, and that in great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality or generosity. These churches that God poured out his blessings on, these churches were very, very poor uh, and they had lots of troubles. Now, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, to some people that you and I know and to some churches that we know but but still this is all predicated on the first verse God's blessing was upon them God's blessing verse three for I bear witness that according to their ability yes and beyond their ability they were freely willing what he's talking about here is uh, Paul is going around asking churches to become involved in ministering to Churches that needed help. Uh, churches that were filled with poor people. And uh he finds here a group of poor churches that says, Hey, let us be involved. We want to help too. Uh, verse number four says, imploring us, and that means begging us. Now, if you're already in poverty and you already have more troubles than you know what to do with. Don't you think you could get out of some of these, of this situation? No, they implored us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Uh, Christmas Eve, one of our kids actually that grew up in the church came back to visit his family. And we were talking out there in the foyer of the church and he says, he, he mentioned, he says, you know we're all ministers, you know that. And I says, yes, you're exactly right. We're all ministers. Everybody is a minister. And so that's why we have this mention right here. This practical part of the ministry, sharing what we have with others, uh, that's what these people beg to be a part of. Verse 5, and not only as we hope, but uh, they first gave themselves to the Lord. Now, if you like to underline things in your Bible, I hope you, uh, you underline this because, uh, because this is significant right here. Uh, this is the, the foundation, the premise uh, that we all want to get to in our life. We all want to get to the place that we give ourselves completely to Christ. Now, that's what these people did right here. Verse 6. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well but as you abound in everything. Paul is patting the the church in Corinth on the back right now and he says you have great faith, you speak well, you have knowledge, uh, you have enthusiasm, you have love, uh, but I want you to excel in the grace of giving. I speak not by commandment but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For I know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. He's encouraging these people. He uses the Macedonian churches as an example. Look at them. They have very little, but they have a big heart. Uh, And so let them be your example. And then he goes on to the biggest example, and he says, look at Christ. Look at what he's done for you uh... look how much he gave you know i remember many years ago when children used to get gifts at christmas made by their parents mothers would go to the store and buy cloth and they would make their daughters new dresses for christmas mothers would make their sons shirts pair of pants for christmas Some of you can't remember those things, but that actually did happen. And the girls were excited for their new dresses, and the kids, the boys were excited for their new shirts made by their parents. They were very simple gifts. Uh, My wife Joanne tells of growing up poor in Texas, and she said her mother would go and get sacks, seed sacks, sacks that had seeds for animals, and would make dresses for the girls out of those sacks. Those old sacks, well, also growing up in Pittsburgh, I would remember uh, when kids in the neighborhood would get toys. Uh, I remember particularly a, a number of years when some of the kids in the neighborhood got big trucks, you know those big yellow trucks they were like this big and this wide and and I would uh, they would bring them out and I would be I wouldn't be envious, I would just be. I don't think it bothered me at all, but I knew that my parents couldn't, couldn't get me one of those. I had one of those little trucks, you know. But the kids were good in the neighborhood, and they shared their trucks, and we played for hours in the dirt. And uh, it was back in those years that parents didn't have a lot of money to give things to their kids, but they had a lot of love. I'm convinced that parents love their kids just as much today as those parents loved their kids back in that day. But we have more money today. And uh, we leverage uh, that money on our kids. Times have changed. Christmas uh, today is about buying and selling, and companies are just waiting for December, hoping they have a good month so that Christmas can get them over the hump. I mentioned last week to you that uh, probably the American culture spent six hundred billion dollars on Christmas. But you know, there's something that transcends. Uh, different generations whether they were Spartan in their gifts or extravagant and those are the gifts of God because in every generation churches like our church stand and talk about the gifts of God being the greatest gifts that people can have uh you know and since we have such a loving God and you know when God's heart is he is love that's the epitome of who God is and you know when you love somebody you love to give to them don't you Man, you have given your wives uh, some Christmas gifts and vice versa. You have given your husband some Christmas gifts. And, and the reason why is because you love them. Well, listen, if God is a person of love, just think of the gifts that he wants to give to you and me. Just think of the gift that he's already given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, God gives not only out of his nature, he is a God of love, but he gives out of his treasure. Uh, I think Paul pretty pretty well in Philippians 4 19 he said uh, that we God will give us meet our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus you see if I meet somebody's need according to my riches it's about this big but if God meets our needs out of his treasure house it's this big and so in the Christian life we learn to unwrap through the rest of our life, the gifts that God gives us. And I guess that a verse that epitomizes everything that we know about Christmas is found in the next chapter, the last verse. Chapter 9, verse 15, it says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Every time I read that passage, it's like, ah, that hurts my head. What does that mean? It means we can't understand it. That's what it means. It means it's too big for our vocabulary. It's too large for our mind. What God has given to us, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We are at a loss to describe it. And so therefore there's no need for post-Christmas blues if you're unwrapping the right gifts from God. As we uh, look at the first part of this chapter, we find that God's gifts are for receiving and sharing with others. You know, when God gives you something, you know what he wants you to do with it? Give it away. That's what he wants. He doesn't want you to be that little kid under the tree that keeps unwrapping packages and eventually you can't see him because he's lost in the wrappings and he's looking for the next gift. And they're all around him and he's saying, listen, is there another gift? God wants us, when he gives us the gifts, for us to be the channel through which we give His gifts to the world. You know, one of the things that the New Testament church did and promoted was giving, and by that I mean meeting the needs of the poor. This whole section is about taking an offering for the poor Christians who were in Jerusalem. You know, poor people need to be encouraged. Now, I know that we can say, listen, that person doesn't work, they're just living off the government and all of that. Some of that is true but there are some legitimately poor people in this world, not only in this country, but of course, through the countries of the world, they are legitimately poor. And you know, it's so nice to encourage them, to lift them up, to give them a little boost. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 34 says that some of these people were actually losing their homes. Uh, They were being so persecuted, these Christians. And so in verse number four, it talks about ministering to the saints. You know, we can't live out the Christian life without giving. It's a part of the very fabric of the early church. It's a part of who we are. You see, when God pours His love into our heart, we get that same reaction Who can I give to? How can I help people who need help? Well, when this passage opens here, it talks about saying, you know, giving is not about money, it's about the heart. And He proves that idea. By giving us the example of the Macedonian churches, uh, we know where these churches are from. they're from northern Greece and they're Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. Uh, they had uh, lots of trouble and they were very poor. Now that sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? Somebody says to you, "Hey, explain your church. We're so poor. We got more troubles and we know what to do with." Now that sounds like a real downer, right? but on the other hand, uh, they said, let us tell you what we do have. Uh, first of all, we have troubles, but we have joy in the midst of our trouble. Now, we scratch our head and we say, now, how can that be? Uh, we've seen this so many times on the mission field. Uh, you know, when we take our summer missionary trips here at the church, uh, these people have so much joy on the mission field. We get, we get there and we say, we look around and we say, is this really real? Are these people putting on an act for us? Are they, are they just like being joyful to make us feel they're happy? No, it's for real. It's contagious, too. This is one of the reasons why the mission field keeps attracting us back. We love to be in that atmosphere. I think it's called authentic Christianity. Joy. Joy is a gift of the Spirit. They've learned to unpack, unwrap the gift of joy. Uh, you know, you can buy a moment of happiness, but you can't buy a moment of joy. You re- it's not for sale. It's a free gift from God. Uh, they had troubles, but they had joy. Now, they had poverty, but they had generosity. Now, that doesn't make any sense either. Uh, they were poor, but generous. You know, generosity is not determined by how much they gave or how much they have. I'm convinced that what they gave for this particular offering that Paul was taking for the, the poor people in Jerusalem was a very small offering. But God doesn't look at the number. He looks at the heart. And God says, listen, these people are generous. They really are. Uh, remember the account of the, of the widow's giving in Luke chapter 21. She gave two mites, a very small amount of money. But uh, the Lord held her up as an example. Uh, she gave uh, beyond her ability. She could have said, hey, listen, I'll keep one and give one to God. But she said, I'm just going to give it all. Uh, what would prompt these poor people to take their little, the little bit that they had and be so generous? You know, someone said that Christian giving is estimated in terms not of quantity but of sacrifice. I believe that. I believe that uh... what made their giving so spectacular it wasn't the dollar amount it was that they first gave themselves to the lord that's what made it so spectacular you see when we first give ourselves to the lord that uh, that's that's a good first positive step because i know a lot of christians and, and i think sometimes all of us struggle with this how much should i give to god how much should i keep for myself not only monetarily not only with our money but with our life and with our talents and uh, with our abilities, how much of my ability should I get to God, give to God, or how much should I keep for myself? Can I really afford to do this? We go through life asking ourselves that question. Well, these people—they settled it right up front. They said, "Listen, everything we have, God, belongs to you." Boy, that takes a lot of pressure off. You don't have to analyze everything all the time. Uh, in giving, the real issue isn't giving money. It's giving ourselves to the Lord. Then the right kind of giving will flow out of that. Years ago, I coined the term the automatic Christian life. It it ends so much struggle, it really does. When we just say, "Lord, everything I have, just it just all belongs to you, and it's available anytime you call me to give it, anytime you give me the word, uh, the impulse, I'll go in that direction." Someone said one time, "I never had trouble giving to God what I." Had when I first gave him all that I am. It's the same premise. They were unwrapping Christmas. And uh, these poor people, they begged to participate in verse number four. Can you imagine that? Uh, if you were as poor as they were, you would say, Well, I hope Paul skips t- asking us to participate in this because we're just barely making it ourselves. Um, where did it start? This unwrapping of sharing what God gave to them. Where did it start? It started with the first gift. Opening that first package is life-changing. They had already done this. Uh, They were called saints. They're Christians. Uh, The first Christmas uh, at Bethlehem, that's the first package that God gives us. He holds it out and says, listen, this is what I have for you. And we call that God with us. If you were here for Christmas Eve service, you know, uh, we, we resurrected Charles Spurgeon from England and he talked to us with that haunting voice <laughs> one of our teenagers that they were like reduplicating it for me and they did pretty well this big haunting voice god with us you know you remember that but uh, the bible does say in isaiah 714 a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and his name is emmanuel god with us uh, and so that was uh, the Lord coming into the world, God with us. Uh, God put on flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the Only Begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, but uh, that wasn't His. Uh, that was just His first stop. His second stop was the cross. And this I love. And when we think of the cross, we think of God being for us. You know, so many times people think. You know, God is just some big mean guy up in the sky just waiting for me to step out of line so he can come down and hammer me somehow. Uh, That concept uh, is not true at all. God is looking down to us to bless us and to love us. And the cross is is the climactic picture of the love of God the extent to which God would go to show you how much he loves you. He gives, he searches through heaven and he finds the greatest gift out of his riches, his son. His son. And says, I will give him to you. He's my gift. And we stand back and we say, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift that's God for us. Every time we see a cross it's a plus sign, isn't it? That means God's for you. He really is. You know, that's the message that our world needs today, you know that. But you know that wasn't his final stop. His final stop was in us. God in us. And that's the Holy Spirit. And that's our Christmas. God in us. This is uh, when we move from the experience of the Christmas shopping at the malls and online buying to the experience of Christ. Uh, Jesus referred to this in John chapter 16, verse 7. He said, listen, it is for your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. John 14, 17, he says, he will be in you. And so we have God with us, God for us, and God in us. Christ is in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, when we talk about Jesus being in our heart, we oftentimes quote Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And that's how this all becomes a reality. You know, we know that Christ is seated at the right hand of God in heaven, but when we invite Christ, He dispatches, so to speak, the Holy Spirit to live in our heart. God in us, this gift that we have, we receive by faith. We don't earn it. We just receive it. And then we began to unwrap all these other gifts that are so meaningful throughout our life, one of which is joy, and and we've just referred to that, the gift of joy. Actually, it's the second gift mentioned in Galatians 5.22, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Now, this joy is uh, the Greek word kara. We have a few, several karas in our church, three that I know right off the top of my head. It's a beautiful term uh... it means joy uh... these macedonians had uh, unwrapped this gift uh, do you think that they ever thought that they could have joy in the midst of trouble and poverty not on your life uh... because you you know universal thought is this that joy comes from possessions and the more possessions we have the more joyful we are that's not true at all uh, they wanted to share their joy and what they had with other people. They wanted to participate and they actually did. Paul is speaking to the church, I think, not only at there, but here too. He says, I want you to excel in passing your gifts that I give you on. Second Corinthians 8, 7. Let's look at this this morning. Paul says, Since you excel in many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving." Now that's really good. And what he's saying here is your faith, your belief is pretty solid. You have sound doctrine in your church. Your speakers even are pretty gifted. Your knowledge is admirable, and John MacArthur said that means the application of doctrine. Your enthusiasm is off the charts. Your, that's your spiritual passion. Now, that sounds like a pretty good church, doesn't it? That sounds like the church I'd like to be a part of. But then he says, listen, there's another area that I want you to excel in, too, and that's the excel in giving. Push it right up there, make it a part of the package of your church. First of all, he uses the example of the Macedonian churches. Look at these churches, they don't have anything but they have the thing that really counts. They have a heart. They have a heart. They believe. They practice what they believe. They're just not all talk. They put some feet to their faith. And then he says, listen, if that's not enough for you, think of what Jesus Christ did for you. He is our pattern. Though he was rich, when was Jesus rich? before he added humanity to his deity and walked on this earth. That's when he was rich. Paul subtly here is pointing to the deity of Jesus Christ. You know, there's no way that Paul could write he was rich if the life of Jesus began in Mary's womb. Everything from that point on in Jesus' life was poverty. Uh, Jesus even said in Matthew 8.20, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't have very much in this world. He was raised in a poor home. Uh, He went from place to place and God fed him. Jesus gave so much so that you and I could have real riches from him. We are rich in Christ. We really are. Because we are saved by his grace. Amen. Saved by his grace uh... look over to verse number twenty four therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of your boasting on your behalf and what he's saying here is now listen i want you to prove it now i know you've been collecting this offering for a period of time and now it's time to to collect it and to pass it on to the people that have less than you and so i want you to prove your love you know proving Proving your love is important. You know, you can say to anybody, listen, I love you, but unless you prove it, it doesn't mean much. I guess it doesn't mean much at all, does it? Uh, and so the Lord says, listen, I want you here to prove it. Show a good offering because the churches will also know about it and thank God for his work among the Corinthians. Um, you know, God blesses our giving. He really does. And so here we're moving to a natural conclusion. God blesses our giving. Look over to 2 Corinthians, just the next chapter there, chapter 9, verse 8. Look what it says. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, all blessing. God wants to bless us. Don't ever get hung up and discount that. God wants to bless us. He wants us to be under the fountain of his blessing, and as we give, God is able to reward our giving. Now, please don't give to get, okay? Uh, don't give like that. And I know that when you turn on the television, there are all these televangelists, and they're saying, "Listen, plant your seed in my garden." I wish they'd plant it in someone else's garden, but they—they they want it in their garden. And uh, you send in a certain amount and God will bless it. And so somebody sends something in, they run to the mailbox the next day expecting God to come through for them. Now, let me say that God does bless people materially. Let's not discount that completely. And the reason why I believe that is because of you. You are living proof that God blesses people materially in this church. Uh, travel to many of the countries of the world, and they look at you as uh, in another world, materially. And God has blessed us, I think, for a purpose. There's a purpose behind that. God does bless people materially, but don't give with that motive. Uh, when I give to the Lord, I, I try never to think. Of, actually, I never think of that. I want to give to God not to get but simply to give because I love Jesus Christ this much Uh, and uh, Jesus said this whoever gives uh, a little one a cup of cold water in my name uh, they won't lose a reward and so that means that God rewards us for giving he says here God does it with all grace or all blessing our giving is rewarded materially and more importantly than that spiritually God's spiritual blessings are the things that really count. Um, they're the things that last forever. The salvation of our soul, the Holy Spirit, which is God's down payment on our our salvation, uh, the influence and impact that we can have in this world on other people, uh, our children that have that will grow up in our footsteps and have convictions like we have. I'll tell you what. That can't be bought with money. That's how God blesses us. Um, Oftentimes, God will bless us materially by keeping things in our home running longer than usual. I I fear to use this example because every time you use an example, it explodes on you. We have this refrigerator. It runs forever. You know, I'll go home from here, it'll be exploded, I know. Uh, we keep looking at it, and we keep saying, what on earth is keeping this thing alive? <laughs> you know, God did things like that in the Bible. Uh, you know, the nation of Israel walked through the wilderness, and the Bible says their clothes didn't wear out, and their shoes didn't wear out. Some of you are wearing shoes that are mighty old, aren't they? That's the blessing of God. And so, 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, now follow me, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Wow. Verse 8, having all sufficiency in all things. That word sufficiency there also may be translated contentment. You know, Christians can be contented, you know that? They can come to the place in their life to say, listen, I don't need anything more. I'm fine uh... that's a wonderful thing you know that to be content Uh, and so these people are unwrapping these gifts Uh, and uh... one of the gifts that you learn first of all to unwrap is the gift of deliverance you know when i first came to christ i knew very little about the christian life i knew i felt that heaven was real i wanted to go there i felt that hell was hot and i didn't want to go there i felt that the rapture was true and i wanted to go when the trumpet sounded and so i had all these things swirling around in my little mind and that's about all i knew and i knew that jesus christ loved me and died upon the cross for my sins and i put all that together and i said that's good enough for me count me in i want to be a child of god i want christ as my savior I don't only want Him, I need Him as to be my Savior. That's about all I knew about the Bible. But you know, when you get saved, uh, then, then you want to, like, get into it. It's like, ah, now I want to learn. You know, I want to see what God has for me from the Bible. And I learned these terms that were delivered from the penalty. The Bible says before we're saved, we're condemned already. We're on death row. Uh, sin has consequences the wages of sin is death you know we die in two ways you know that that's simple we die physically we're all we're all dying physically father time is ticking uh... we wake up one day and we look in the mirror and we see our dad or we wake up in the mirror and we see our mother my wife says i look like my uncle how could that happen like my uncle not when he was young when he got old he said, "You look just like him." Well, I guess there's a bloodline there. Uh, uh, we change, don't we? Now, that's physical death. Spiritual death, though, is a reality too. Isaiah 59:2 says, "Our sins have separated us from God." That's why people have no concept of God today. Ephesians 2:2 2, 2 says that He has made us alive who were dead in trespasses and in sin. You know, the Bible has lots of terms to describe an unsaved person. We're lost. We're condemned. We're perishing. And so I learned that uh, we're free from the penalty of that. And I didn't know much about that before, but I do now. I learned that. I unwrapped that gift. Then I learned that, uh, that we were delivered from the power of sin. You know, sin is so beguiling, and we always have to be learning about this. You know that? Because just the time to think we, we have it, we don't uh... sin looks so good it's so seductive it's so innocent the bible calls it bondage and satan is always trying to get us bound up no matter how long we've been saved we can be bound up with pride and that's as evil as anything sin is powerful and pleasurable Uh, hebrews chapter eleven remember moses said uh he was chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Uh he admitted, listen, sin is fun. But I'll tell you the price you have to pay for it is bad. You know, we refer to people who have discovered freedom as a person who has a new life, a new lease on life. Uh you know, every time you open another gift of God's grace uh related to the bondages in our life, we become more and more free, and I'll tell you what you'll never get over doing that. You'll be affected and afflicted uh, with bondage the rest of your journey on earth and you have to then come to the Lord and say, okay Lord, I know you've got something else here for me and I'll open up another one of your gifts, the gift of deliverance from the power of sin. And then lastly, uh, I learned more about opening the final gift. That's, that's the final gift you'll open on this, on this earth and that's from the presence of sin. Uh, all the pain that we endure as a result of the fall of man, our bad choices and the choices of others uh, that impact us, one of these days it will be over. We'll take that last package. I guess we'll be in the nursing home, probably. We'll take that last package and we'll say, you know, this has been a great journey. I think I'll just open this last package. I'm ready for, to now to open it. Uh, this last week, my cousin, Curtis, passed away. Curtis died of uh, that breathing disease, COPD, I believe it's called. Um, I had two really hard days. I was surprised. I was so surprised. Curtis came to live with us when he was about 10 years of age his mother they were they were from a good christian family uh... his mother died i couldn't figure that out i was about eleven i couldn't figure that out how could a, how could a mother leave the family so young and curtis came to live with us and i couldn't figure that out his father said who was a wonderful man and he had two brothers and a sister and he said we're not able right now to take care of curtis will you take care of him for a year or so And my mother had a lot of love and my father had a lot of love too and Curtis moved in with us in that little house in in Sheridan section of Pittsburgh on Oakland Street I I didn't really know how to react to that you know here this is my house you know you're moving into my territory I wish I could turn back the clock and probably treat him in a different way than I did but I, this was all too much for me. And so Curtis and I lived under the same roof. And my mother was praying for us, for me, for Curtis, and my sister Judy to come to Christ. And you know, mothers, that's the job of a mother, to pray for their children to come to Christ. And my mother was powerful in prayer. She told me when in her later years, she said, "God, when I, She says, Johnny, when I talk to God, he listens to me. I said, Amen. Amen. I'm living proof of that. Uh, And so she prayed for us, and you've heard me say this before. Curtis and I went to church right next to Langley High School. Some of you people know where that is. And one night we were headed off to a Sunday night service, and I looked at Curtis, and I said, Curtis, I'm going to be saved tonight. He said, so am I. So am I. And here we were, those two little kids, just walking off the church, down the hill, right through the center of Sheridan, up that hill by Langley High School, in our little church. And the pastor, God bless him, he got up and he delivered his message. I don't know a thing he said that night. I just couldn't wait for him to get to the end. That's like some of you right now. I couldn't wait wait for him to get to the end so that we could have the invitation and we had the invitation and i guess it was just as i am without one plea and they stood to sing the invitation and on the very first verse i darted out into the aisle toward the front of the church to be saved and i looked behind me and there was curtis and so he and i knelt at that old wooden bench and wept our way into the kingdom of God. Why did I cry so much on that day? I I don't think that everybody does that. I did. I cried because I had hurt Christ. Because he died for my sins. I was partially responsible for his death. It hurt me. And so there we were, those two little kids, about 10 and 11 years of age, we went home that night and we sat in our little living room on Oakland Street and I said mother I feel so clean on the inside and she said you should Johnny you've been washed in the blood of Christ and there was Curtis Curtis was a sweet kid but I know he had a broken heart for his mother and then his dad who lived in Baltimore, Maryland how can a little kid make a transition like that he was a sweet kid after a period of time Curtis went back home but I know that that experience probably had a a long-range effect upon him. and I lost track of Curtis he was a good kid he worked hard to make a good living for his family he sang in the barbershop quartet he had a glorious voice and uh, this week, he unwrapped that gift, the gift of deliverance from sin. Uh, the Christian life is glorious because there is a hope beyond this world. And I just have to think that when Curtis got to heaven, he's, he was there with his, his mother. That's too glorious, isn't it? That's too, that's too glorious. And so I've said all of this today to say this. When God gives us his gifts, be like my mother Pass them on. She didn't hoard them. She said, Johnny, I want you to experience this. Because there's a whole lot of little kids out there, like little Curdy, my mom called him. I think God calls him Curdy too, Curtie. There's a lot of little kids out there like Curtie and little John uh, that are thinking over these big issues that we're talking about in, in big church up here. They're talking about it in little church downstairs. Uh, let's keep sharing, okay, what God gives us, uh, because He gives us these gifts not for us to hoard, but for us to enjoy and to share let's bow our heads in prayer with our heads bowed and our eyes closed today let me ask you this question have you ever invited christ into your life do you have a savior do you know for sure if you were to die that you would go to heaven if you can't say for sure i know that and then uh, listen you're unsure and you need to make it sure you need to humble your heart in the sight of god and call on his name today and invite him into your life and receive his forgiveness that he offers you and be saved you might say well you know I'm, I'm much older than you were when you came to Christ as a young kid that's okay God saves people at every age and sometimes it takes people a long time to come to a true realization of their condition in God's sight and so right there in the seat in which you sit this morning Make it a little altar between you and God and come to him and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I embrace you. I embrace your teaching. I want to be your follower. And when you give me something, Lord, I'll pass it on. I'll be an agent of blessing in this world. Come into my heart, send your spirit right now. Dear Lord, we thank you for uh, this story in the Bible of these Macedonian Christians, that they were filled with joy, and they didn't have much, but they gave way beyond their ability. They actually begged to give. I pray, Lord, that you'll give us a little portion of their spirit today. And Lord, as we leave this church today, I just pray that you will help us to a walk in the principles that you're teaching us here in the in the Scripture this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song. If you'd like to come and pray here at the front of the church, you can as we sing together. What hope we hold this starlit night? A King is born in Bethlehem. Our journey long. that leads to the hallowed major ground what fear we felt in the silent age 400 years can he be found but broken by a baby's cry rejoice in the hallowed major ground. y me...